Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 40 of a series of episodes that we're calling Leading Others to Christ. Those of you that have been listening and watching know that during these episodes, we'll be focused on evangelism. And one of our goals, and uh, we're finding that there's, we're, we're adding to our goal list every week, it seems like, but one of our goals is to stir us up, to uh, try to get try to get Christians around the world fired up again, uh, but especially fired up to love and good works, but especially in the area of, of reaching our family or friends and neighbors with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach uh, for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana, which is about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis, and I also serve there as one of the shepherds. Those of you that know me, uh, and I, I have this little routine that, that we've been doing every time. We might change it up as we go along, but those of you that know me know that I'm passionate about our topic, passionate about evangelism, and I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel in Owensboro, Kentucky, when I was 21 years old. Uh, and I've ever since then, I've been striving to learn how to teach others, uh, to use some Bible phrases to uh, sow the seed, to be a fisher of men and, and women, to make disciples, to persuade men and women, uh, and to teach others to teach. Um, and, and remembering what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, and the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then later on in the chapter, I like this because uh, uh, Paul's still talking to Timothy. He uses this language to be useful for the master prepared for every good work. So, you know, I came up with this idea and this is my, I'm telling everybody, this is my COVID project. My pre, pre when COVID started, this is like, I said, I'm going to learn how to do a podcast. But I thought this would be good to find the Christians out there that are also passionate about leading others to Christ, the men and the women, the fellow workers. Who are they? Where are they? How are they doing their work? Uh, and once we've identified them, to, to interview them and ask them these why questions. And uh, so this is number 40 today. It's hard to believe we've already got to number 40, but we're excited today to have someone with us that I'm confident we're going to learn a lot from. Again, I encourage you to take out your pen and paper, unless you're driving, but take out pen and paper and take some notes here. Uh, our guest today is Nate Morrison. Welcome, Nate. Thank you. Hi. Glad you could have me with you. Oh, yeah. I was, I was appreciative of the invite. Oh, well, we we appreciate uh, you accepting. And uh, uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, to learning more about you today and and uh, Nate works with his wife, Becky, with the Courthouse Church of Christ in Chesterfield, Virginia. And I understand that's just a little south of Richmond. Is that correct? Yeah, and it's Chesterfield County. It's, it's still considered the Richmond area. Okay. All right. Um, well, we'd like to start out, Nate. Let's get right to it. Uh, we start every interview out with what I call the old elevator pitch or a short bio. And if you would uh, share with everybody and, uh, you know, who you are, where you were born, and, and how you've ended up where you are, and so we know a little bit more about Nate. So go ahead. <clears throat> I was born in San Diego, California. Uh, I was a Navy brat. My dad was career Navy. He ended up in retiring after 30 years in the Navy as an E-9 Command Master Chief. 
So I moved around quite a bit growing up, um, ended up from California to Texas to Colorado, from Colorado to Washington State. And uh, in Washington State is where I kind of became an adult. Um, my childhood was spent spread out Colorado, Texas, that kind of thing. But in Washington State, we uh, it's where I met my wife, Becky. She was going to school in Portland. Her family's from Alaska. And I met her through her cousin, who was also my best friend at the time. And uh, we still are we still are best friends. We're still in contact today. Uh, I started teaching classes when I was 18. I taught a specific class on Friday nights for till I was 22, about three and a half years. It started, we called it the teen class, but by the time it was over, none of us were in our teens. <laughs> we were all young adults, but I began teaching it. And uh, I taught my first adult class actually when I was 17 for a congregation. And I remember thinking as I stood up there, kind of froze and said, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> Who's going <laughs> to listen to me? But then when I was 18, I was asked to lead this class. And on Friday nights, I led a class of, we had teens coming in from a 50 mile radius from different congregations. And after a year of that, uh, a good friend of mine joined and became a co-teacher with me. And we both shared the exact same goals. And that was to teach them their roles in, in the church, uh, both the, the young ladies and the young men, uh, the young men that wanted to, we would teach them how we encouraged them and taught them how to lead public prayer. Uh, we taught them how to lead singing. Uh, if they wanted to do a talk, we heavily encouraged that and would work with them. And uh, and then they would do a devotional for the, you know, that one Friday would be their devotional. And um, we were helping out. And as people went back to their respective congregations all over the place, uh, more and more kept coming. So it was a steady stream of young people for about three and a half years there. And uh, in the meantime, my name got out there that I was capable and I was being asked to preach at my own congregation. I was preaching every quarter and I was preaching for other congregations that wanted a guest speaker. And uh, I was being invited around. And throughout this whole time, my mom, I preached at the congregation my parents went to quite often. And my mom was telling me this whole time, you need to be a preacher. And I kept saying, no, I'm I'm. I'm a, I, I thought myself at the time more of a song leader and uh, other things. I was capable at the Lord's Supper, for public prayers. I said I was a servant in other ways, but that was my focus during those classes. And then I met my wife. We got married, and she actually heard me preach a couple times as a, one of those guest speakers around the area. And I moved to Alaska. <clears throat> we moved my I moved there for a school program, and just to give you a short, the shortened version of everything, we got to Alaska, and two weeks of getting to Alaska, the old preacher there, his name was Don Bradford, he put me on the preaching roster within two weeks, so we got there late March, I was preaching uh, the first, that first Sunday in, in April, and he had me on the roster every other week, so every two weeks I was preaching, and then uh, as he was, his health was failing, and he wanted to retire, uh, my brother, one of my brothers moved to the area two months later, and he and the rest of the men, we were all kind of on the preaching roster and we were doing it. So I preached part time for four years. And during that four years, that part time became more and more full time. And uh, a congregation in Anchorage, Rose Street congregation, they got a hold of me and I was preaching for them as well as my brother. We both were out there. For about a year, I preached for Rose Street and 
Soldatna, the Soldatna congregation where I was at, the Funny River Road Church of Christ. And that kind of gave me my first look at full-time preaching because one week I was preaching in Soldatna, the next week in Anchorage, Soldatna, Anchorage, and did that for almost a year, uh, off and on for about a year. And during that time, my congregation offered me the job of full-time preacher twice, and I turned it down because that's not why I moved to Alaska. I kept saying, no, I'm just helping out. Then the congregation in Anchorage offered me the job, and when I turned that down, my wife and I sat down and really had a serious discussion and said, what would I miss the most? And that's really what it came down to. What would I miss the most? And it came down to I would miss uh, those opportunities for preaching. And so we made a plan that if the congregation I was a part of made that offer again, I would accept. And then a month before graduating with my degree that would get me into the oil field, which is the reason I moved to Alaska, a month before graduating, the congregation made that offer and I took it. And I have, it was the scarier route. Uh, Going into preaching is oftentimes a scarier plan. You don't have everything lined up as if you did in the corporate world, but we've never looked back. And the two of us made that decision together. And so I ended up preaching part-time for four years for the Funny River Road Church of Christ, and then uh, full-time. And my whole time there was about 15 and a half years. And then in uh, while I was there, my last three years there in Alaska, I also taught classes and conducted services at the Wildwood Correctional Center, um, talking to uh, teaching inmates on Monday nights and conducting services for them when the chaplain opened up their doors to hold services on Sunday, because we had about 12 of 20 men who were baptized uh, the right way, uh, correctly, and we were concerned that they were not getting the Lord's Supper. And there were four men, me and three other guys from my congregation that went out there every week and taught classes. And when they opened up services for the very first time in 2016, um, for two years, the four of us took turns going over there and conducting services on Sunday afternoon. And so I did that until um, January of 17. And then in 2017, uh, I got an offer to move to Richmond, Virginia. I took that offer and they imported me and my family all the halfway across there, all the way across the country from Alaska to Virginia. And I've been working with the Courthouse Church of Christ since September of 2017. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, it is fun to tell, to, to think about what, what part of, of my story do I want to tell, right? But uh, you did a good job there. And that's, uh, yeah, I learned a lot. And, uh, but just the importance of, uh, of, uh, of congregations recognizing a 17-year-old that has uh, some ability and desire and giving them a platform, right? Giving them an opportunity to, uh, to teach. Uh, yeah. And that, uh, go ahead. That congregation in Alaska, when they hired me to be their full-time preacher. I told my wife, I had a hard phone call I had to make. My mother had been telling me for years, you need to be a preacher. No, no. no. And that Sunday night, after they hired me as the full-time preacher, I called and had to tell my mom the hardest three words a son ever has to tell their mother. You were right. (laughs) She's She's been proud of me ever since. I was going to say, I bet mom was jumping up and down. She was probably so excited. Uh, that's, that's such a good story. Uh, you, uh, you know, uh, the, the, just to think about the several things there that you said, but again, back to the, the, the ones that, uh, what was his name again? Uh, I wrote it down. That's if you see me looking down, that means I'm making notes, but, uh, 
the fellow that was uh, preaching there and uh, oh Don Black uh, Bradford uh, Don yeah. Bradford yes Don Bradford yeah it, and it's like uh, those people in our lives that we go I, I remember uh, I was baptized on a Sunday morning and as I said earlier I was 21 that night they asked me to leave the closing prayer and I like that. <laughs> I like to have a heart attack. Uh, Deer in headlights. Yeah, I, I was like, I don't know. I have no idea what I said, but uh, that was a little too quick. But, uh, but you know, the, the importance of, uh, and then all the time that you spent uh, with uh, on Friday nights uh, of, of having teens come in from uh, your congregation and the surrounding congregations to do that. Those are things like that, that others that are listening to this might say, you know what, we could do something like that. Or we've got a, uh, we've got a Nate, maybe possibly in our group that we just need to uh, encourage them to step up. And uh, um, let's do this real quick. I, Becky, all right. How important is your spouse to your work? We are a team. And like I said, we, we made this decision together. I didn't just say, you know, I'm going to quit my job and become a preacher. <laughs> I'm going to stop pursuing what I went to school for all these years and be a preacher. We had talked about it and she, you know, I mentioned my mom saying you should be a preacher. Yes. Uh, my wife was really my greatest cheerleader. My, you know, as either say, I'll ask my mom, she's biased, but my wife, Becky, was my biggest cheerleader all through those years in Alaska that I was preaching part time. And she helped me in that. There was a period of time I separated my shoulder and I was I had my arm in a body sling and I couldn't type. She wrote my outlines for me. I dictated and she typed my outlines for me. Um, she has, she's been instrumental in my career as a preacher. Well, tell you tell, we haven't met, obviously you tell Becky, we're proud of her and to keep up her good work. Uh, I sure will. Uh, and, uh, you know, my wife has been such a, a, a key factor in my life. We're a team as well. And, uh, uh, sometimes maybe we don't give them enough credit. I'm guilty of that. Uh, and, uh, but we need to, uh, to keep doing that. Alaska. I've never been to Alaska. I, I'd love to sometime, but uh, so just tell us, I want to go other places, but tell us uh, a little bit about the church in Alaska. Uh, we were a small group, but when we first moved there, there were about 20 people. Um, when Becky and I left in August of 2017, they were, even after we left, they still would have had about 40 members. So they, they were about 44 strong when we left. And um, I have, Becky and I have been married now about 19 years. Our, this year will be our 20th. We have two children, 15-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son. And at the time when we told them we were moving, it was hard on them. They were both born and raised in Alaska. And it was tough on them. It was tough on my in-laws, Becky's parents, who are still there. And they were members of that congregation. It was hard on the congregation, but we uh, we all parted as friends, and the work there was was good. I I kind of owe my career to them, uh, oh, giving sure. me that opportunity to to preach, and then I was teaching Bible classes, and just I felt God grooming me. Looking back, God was grooming me for all those times, and including working for the congregation in Anchorage, um, giving me my taste of full time work. What that was going to look like week to week. All of that helped make that decision when the congregation offered me the job in uh, 2006. Well, uh, God was grooming you uh, to get you better equipped to do what you're doing today. Uh, and, you know, it's an ongoing process. I'm 74 and, and, and I'm still a work in progress. But uh, uh, 
you know, the, uh, I know you, you started out, I think my notes are right on this. You were a, uh, kind of a tech guy, right? And I didn't know it was in the oil industry. I actually worked offshore, uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, I did, I thought I'd throw that in there real quick. Uh, moving from uh, Kentucky to Louisiana and then having a, it was a summer job while I was, uh, going to college down there and uh, actually I was assistant basketball coach at University of Southwest Louisiana and they got me a job working offshore and I went what is that <laughs> and I learned real quick what that was all about but uh shift work. What, yeah yeah shift work we'll talk about that later but but you're uh you're a tech guy right your degree well, was in pro- process technology not not tech in the way that you're you're looking at the it was process technology is the degree I hold but it was to get me to be an operator in the oil field, basically any, and it would work in any job, not just uh, oil field, but anything with an assembly process, anything with an assembly line. Some of the, my classmates that graduated went on to help. Uh, they worked for computer companies, assembling computers or auto companies or plastics or quarry, uh, anything with an assembly line. What I was being trained to do was what they called an operator. And it was to, uh, you were responsible for, the oil from the ground all the way from the ground through the facility to the business line. And my father-in-law worked for BP and he was up there and I got to work for BP as an intern for the summer of 2005 and got to go up there and, and see and touch and do the job I was in school for. And and that, that energized me to try to finish my degree. You know, uh, one of the things that we have run into here with this COVID and, uh, and congregations, and this has come up with almost every interview of, of just how congregations have changed or in the process of changing and, and learning how to use technology uh, and how important, let's just talk about this real quick. How important is, 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 uh, is technology today in, in the subject of evangelism? I think it plays an important role. Um, like you said, uh, you and I were talking and you, you mentioned how uh, when COVID hit, you, you had to jump out of your comfort zone and, and get on Zoom to teach a Bible class. Um, we found ourselves in the same position when COVID hit and the, the world was all of a sudden kind of new beginning March 15th is how it was for our congregation. Going forward the next couple of weeks, uh, I know me and many other preachers here in this area, Zoom became our friend. Uh, we began teaching Bible classes, uh, teaching sermons on it, recording things like that. And my congregation had started live streaming back in January of last year, January 2020, before all this happened. And so when we came back in May during our state's phase three, as they called it, uh, we picked up live streaming as well. So we are still teaching Bible classes on Zoom. We are live streaming our services. And technology is is uh, wonderful in this time period right now that allows us, even though we can't see each other, to be together that way. Uh, it's not you know, and I have stressed to our, my group and other groups, it's not the assembly, but it allows, uh, we started live streaming for our shut-ins. We had a great number of people that were not able to uh, assemble with us, and it still allowed us to encourage them. And technology allows us to do that today, to reach out to those that are, uh, for whatever health concerns, or if they're sick, uh, shut, you know, that they're still shut in. We can teach Bible classes that we never even thought of before using Zoom and live stream our services. We used to just live stream the sermon. What changed is now we live stream the whole service from beginning to end. And that's something new for us that we started last May. 
Well, that's that's good. Um, yeah, the possibilities I think are just continuing to uh, you know uh, innovation and some things have come up just in in doing these interviews that uh, that we're we're looking at some other things and some new goals that have popped up here of things that we could possibly do. I, I've been doing this every time, uh, Nate. Where I, I've been calling it a conversion story. Uh, would you share with us uh, somebody in, in your past that uh, you know that you studied with that ended up obeying the gospel and and uh, just share a little bit of that with us if you would <clears throat> well obviously i would want to brag about my two kids <laughs> they both obeyed the gospel within three months of each other but when you and i had talked earlier you had mentioned a, a a unique situation and i had one that immediately sprang to mind that's very memorable so let me talk about that Good. in alaska we had a young lady whose husband was not a christian she was a member and her husband was not a christian and we had talked with him. He talked to uh, his family, you know, her family members who were all members there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he came to services. He'd come with her. Um, but if we had a gospel meeting, it was hit or miss. He came or he didn't come or we wouldn't see him at all. And there are long bouts of time that we wouldn't see him at all. And then he'd all of a sudden show up. And But he was all at all our get togethers and gatherings. He was there and he was a really friendly young man. Well, well then we had a gospel meeting with David Hallbrook. And it ran from a Sunday to Sunday, which was a little different. But on the Friday night of that meeting, and let me say, this young man came for the first time. He came to every service during wow. this gospel meeting. Wow. And he had not done that previously. <clears throat> he might attend here and there, but not, not the whole service. Well, he had attended every week. And on the Friday night service, after that service, he and David Halbrook and I and another friend that later became uh, preacher for for Sitka, Alaska, Joel Warner, who I mentioned to you earlier. We were all standing in the back talking. And before long, it's 11 o'clock at night and we're still talking. And at 1130, this young man says, what have I been waiting for? I need to be baptized. Well, this was at the tail end of September. And here's why it's memorable. I said, I'll go start the baptistry. And it takes about 45 minutes to fill. We didn't keep it pre-filled. We would have to fill it. And so we were going to make some phone calls. He says, no, no, I don't want to be baptized in the baptistry. I always said, if I want to be baptized, I want to be baptized in a lake and not just any lake. He had a particular lake in mind that was just a few minutes down the road from where we were. So we're looking at the time. It's 1130 at night. So I go run, get my chest waders. Some people made some phone calls. We showed up at the lake and shortly before midnight, I he wanted me to baptize him. So I went down into the, the lake with him. Well, it's also memorable. This was my brother that moved to Alaska. This was his birthday. And oh, it's wow. the first snow of the year. It's <laughs> freezing cold. Snow's coming down on top of us. We go into the water. I quickly found out my chest waders are leaking. We both got soaked that night as the angels rejoiced in his decision. So <laughs> memorable for many reasons, but I remember it for the first snow of the year. Uh, it was cold. The water was freezing, but it, it was that important. He said he didn't want to wait. Let's do it. So oh, that's that is so good. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. Um, and that's why I like doing that and asking that of the of the conversion stories, because everybody has uh, has one or many that they can remember. Um, you know, uh, I know that uh, you spoke at the uh, truth lectures uh, a few years ago back in was it 2015, I think, or? Yes, sir. Six years ago, 2015. 
and I was reading uh, the uh, article that you had in there. And uh, uh, one of the things that I thought was really good right toward the end of it, you were talking about the Great Commission. Uh, and certainly everybody that's listening knows what the Great Commission is. And that it's, it, it's our responsibility. It wasn't just for those apostles that were given the commission. It, it's for all of us. And uh, But you, you made a comment that we should not think of the Great Commission as mission impossible. You remember that? But, but mission possible. But mission possible. And yeah. I thought, well, I'm going to ask Nate to elaborate on that. Tell, tell everybody, I think I know what you mean, but share that. We, the commission was to go and teach. <clears throat> and they were to go into all the world. And think of the daunting task that would have been for them at the time. Uh, their modes of transportation was all they knew. They could walk, they could ride, they could uh, take a boat, you know, but think of our, what's at our fingertips now. Uh, if they were able to, we read of in Colossians that it had gone into all the world. In okay. Jude, it was delivered once for all to all the saints. Uh, when we read passages such as that, that the gospel had gone into all the world. And it was the, it's talking about the known world, not the all the way around the globe. Um, and that's up for a lot of discussion as well as how far did they go? And was it just the apostles? Uh, a preacher friend of mine just recently had a, uh, a question that he wanted people to be thinking about. How far did the actual 11 go? As far as recorded in the New Testament, they didn't go that far. When persecution arose in Acts 8, they, the apostles are specifically mentioned as staying in Jerusalem. But they taught others. And look where others went as they took the gospel into all those other parts of the world. <clears throat> now, Jesus told his, his apostles they would go into the remotest part of the earth in Acts 1.8. And so the gospel went. It went out. It did its job to where now here, thousands of years later, we are still going and teaching. And so they didn't look at it as mission impossible. They looked at it as mission possible and they did it. And, and they did it in the, at the, with the things they had at their fingertips, the modes of transportation. They used uh, what was available to them, uh, both writing, both teaching orally. Uh, Paul used props. In Acts 17, he used the shrine to the God of the, un, you know, the, the shrine to the unknown God and said, let me tell you about that. Today, we, we had overheads. Now we have PowerPoint. We have websites. We have social media. We have ways that I mentioned live stream earlier. One of the things we do with our live stream, and I also record my sermons to video, the PowerPoint presentation. We put it on our website so members can then share that technology by email. And that email can go all over around the world. Um, I'll get emails from people in different countries saying they heard or saw a lesson or sermon on our website or I shared it on social media. Technology allows us at a fingertip to go into all the world to go and teach that the apostles didn't have, and yet they still did it. So if it wasn't mission impossible for them, today it definitely is not mission impossible for us. But we need to well, think of it as a possibility and, and go and teach. Go do it. Yeah, well said. You know, uh, another reason I wanted to do these <clears throat> podcasts, uh, do this podcast is we talked earlier about stirring people up. Uh, and unfortunately, and we've discussed this before, one of the things that's discouraging and not to be negative, but just to be real, and I've, I've mentioned this in a couple of the interviews, but, you know, there's stats out there that show of congregations closing their doors, of uh, uh, congregations shrinking. Uh, 
where where little or no activity of, on evangelism is happening in the congregation. That used to be that if there were those that were obeying the gospel, it was the children of the members. But now it's gotten to a place where so many, a lot of these smaller congregations, uh, there are no young people there anymore, and it's just older ones. Uh, and it, it's discouraging. And, and in some places, there's, you know, apathy. Uh, where uh, And that's what we're trying to do in... Uh, so what do you, you know, we call it one thing, uh, Nate, uh, you know, somebody's listening to this and, and maybe they've, you've gotten motivated and you've got them thinking and, and uh, what could, what would be one thing that we could do to, to stir people up and to, to, uh, to solve this apathy problem that uh, exists in some places? If someone wanted to get fired up, somebody wanted to go into the preaching or to even teaching if they didn't want to do it, you know, professionally. Uh, I call it, they need to have a love for God's word and not just a love. All Christians ought to have a love for God's word, but a, a burning fire within them, a, a passion for teaching others. Um, I use as my motivation for preaching Jeremiah 20 and verse nine, Jeremiah 20, verse nine. He says, but I, but if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. That's how I felt um, as a teenager. That's how I felt. That's why I started teaching and and then taking the preaching opportunities that were there, and then finally not looking back on a career in the oil field and and becoming a preacher. I felt that fire within me. And so you have to have that love of God's word that fuels that fire, that passion for teaching others and seeing them succeed. Now, I have a friend here who would say that the one thing they need is a wife who would make baked goods for the brethren. But, <laughs> oh, you know, it's uh, oh, we could talk about it for a long time, but you're right. It, we have to have a love for lost souls we have to actually know that this is real you know i mean uh there there are family and friends and neighbors that are going to be lost and and we perhaps might be the only one that would ever uh pull them out of the fire if you will but yeah i've always loved that passage uh, uh there jeremiah to you know that that burning that's uh that's in us uh so so if somebody wanted to reach out to you and say, hey, I want to know this guy some more, would, would, would you be willing to share some contact information if somebody wanted to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can get a hold of us on our website, courthousechurchofchrist.com. Um, from there, if they send a, submit a question, it'll go to my email or they can email me directly at nmorrison1939 at gmail.com. And uh, I'd be happy to share my phone number if they were to reach out to me that way or I'm on Facebook. I made sure my Pages public, so they can find me, Nathan L. Morrison, on Facebook, and uh, it has, they'll know it, because it'll say I'm the evangelist for the Courthouse Church of Christ in the Richmond, Virginia area. So good, so good. Well, brother, um, I look for Lord willing to get to meet you one day in person, um, but uh, thanks for sharing your story today, and and uh, keep up your good work. Again, tell Becky, thank you. Uh, uh, I'm going to give her all the credit for this. No. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I tell her she's the, I tell her she's the perfect preacher's wife. That's, oh, that's great. That's good. But uh, keep up your good work there. And, uh, and I know you are, but because I, I, 
one last thing. I know you said uh, on Friday mornings, because you had to hustle to get on Friday morning, share with everybody what you do with your, uh, it's not, you don't call it a new converts class, but it's uh, uh, back to basics, I think is what you called it. Uh, share with everybody what you do on Friday morning. On Friday morning, it started two years ago. We had uh, some new converts and it started out as a new converts class, but then we had other members who were interested in that and wanted to attend. And I didn't want anyone to feel left out. And I thought it'd be great if uh, mature Christians attended as well to encourage those new converts. And mm -hmm. so I changed the name from a new converts class to a back to basics class where we spend time talking about the truth. And we've had a whole bunch of different topics over the last couple of years that we've delved into. And we just wrapped up a class this morning um, on the John Moore book, Searching for Truth. We've been studying that the last several weeks and we just finished that and are gonna begin a new study. And I've got Christians that join this class from all different maturity levels. And so it's, it's great and a great encouragement for the new converts. So I didn't want anyone to feel uh, excluded or for people to say, I can't go there. I'm, I'm not a new convert. I've been a Christian all my life or, or how, X amount of years. So I've opened it up for anyone that wants to come and study with us. And so we do it on Friday mornings. And that's, that's what I've been doing for the last two years or so. Good, good. Again, we're looking for ideas. We're looking for things that can get people motivated and uh, several things there, some really good things that you've shared with us today. So again, uh, Thank you so much and uh, keep up your good work. And uh, uh, we do really do appreciate you. And, and uh, thanks again for taking the time to do this interview with us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoy it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.